I should uh, should mention that uh, Dixie gave me a card this morning. Dixie disappeared. Um, says, with warm thanks to all of you from Dixie Hallett for the donation and memory of my father, Howard Tricartan. And Dixie would be um, one of those that uh, we were praying for that just, you know, father passed away and, and uh, going through, through, those, through those seasons. Well, Hebrews 11, um, I guess turn there, it's a familiar, it shouldn't take us long, it wants to get the, the pages Oh, Russell. Hebrews 11, verse 32 is where we'll be this morning. Um, we won't stay there as has been in our practice, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says this, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, and then as you, you work through and you begin reading the rest of the verses towards the end of the chapter, it's almost like a test as you're, you're remembering through these, these, these stories of the, the Old Testament. Um, for those of us that have studied a little bit of early church history, you're polishing up on the, the persecution of the early church and the tactics that Satan worked against them. But it all comes down to God's Word prevailing through all that by the faith of God's people. And uh, that's kind of what gets me so excited. But we'll be in uh, Judges chapter 6 this morning. And so if you just want to turn there and, and we'll, begin, we'll begin our study. Dear Heavenly Father, even as we're turning the pages of Your Holy Word, Lord, we know that it's Your words. Lord, written, recorded, Lord, spoken for us to see who You are. Lord, they're Your holy, powerful words intended to, to guide and direct ourselves to faith. Lord, there are holy, powerful words given to us to explain. Explain what's taking place in our lives. Explain what needs to be done. Explain what lies ahead for us, Lord. And we're so thankful that these are the words that our faith is built on. Lord, it's You. And as all things point to Your, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that that's very evident this morning in our studies. We just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews brings us to the, the book of Judges, and, and rightly so, if we know and we can remember anything about the book of Judges. If there was ever a time where, where faith was needed, it was in the time of, of Judges. Right? If there was ever a time when faith was needed, if there was ever a time when faith was not seen, in God's people. It was the book of Judges. It was during this time where we remember Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And again, with, with, with my, my personality, with the, the God's Word open, you begin thinking about that, and thinking of the condition of, of, of what their present world was in. The book of Judges spans from the death of Joshua that we see in, in Judges chapter 2. It spans from the, book, the death of Joshua to the anointing of King Saul. And it's important for us to note there as we ask the question, who wrote the book of Judges? Well, the Jewish tradition tells us that it was Samuel. And, and, and Samuel we know uh, very present in, in David and, and uh, the anointing of, of King Saul. Uh, for some reason, I always thought Samuel was a prophet, right? But he was a judge through this time. God was using him to, to bring, uh, bring the people to awakening as to their sin, uh, bring their people to awakening as to God's commands, and, and to bring them back to where, where God would be in their presence. In this book of Judges, we see uh, three age-old struggles of God's people. We see God's people struggling with living by faith, Right? When you think of, and how many times do we read in, in Scripture, did I not bring you up out of Egypt? Right? God had continually shown Himself to these people. The plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the manna in the, in the wilderness, the conquest as they entered the Promised Land. God had continually been showing them who He is. But the people struggled with living by faith believing, trusting, putting their, their personal confidence that God is who He says He is. 
The people uh, struggled with living by obedience. Right? God was very specific and, and straightforward in, in giving them commands to live by so that they could live pleasing before Him. He sent prophets and messengers uh, all throughout man's history pointing back to the, the words of God. So you had the people struggle with living by faith, struggling by living by obedience. And the third thing, as I studied this week, and, and we'll see how prevalent it is in Gideon's life, the third thing that kept coming up is that they were failing to obey Deuteronomy 6. Turn with me there for, for just a, a brief moment. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We know these verses well, but, but we can't separate them from, from the condition that Israel finds themselves in. Right? Living by faith, we understand that. Living by, uh, by obedience, we understand that. But there's an important command that's given for the next generation. It was given to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, we don't pre-order these services, but children. Teaching of children. Teaching them when they're young. Teaching them not just to, to, to know who God is, which is important, but to, to know that God has spoken in His Word. God has given us what our lives are to look like, right, from a young age and as they grow up. And if we don't do that, what happens? We end up with a society that does what is right in their own eyes. It's really not complicated. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 4, where this is, this is God speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Don't try and separate the Trinity. How many problems take place when we start trying to separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? He is God Jehovah, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Secondly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is a, a timeless command. I mean, right from, from when God has the children of Israel parked, ready to enter into the promised land, right up to Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where a scribe caught up in Judaism and what man had turned it into was asking the question, what is the greatest command? And what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? It's, it's there. Thirdly, verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Sounds a lot like faith, doesn't it? Right? If the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, these words, right? what God has given us, the instructions, the description, the display of, of who God is, they need to be in our hearts. Right? That's our faith. That's what's going to lead us through what God has for us. That's how important this is. But then, verse number 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down, or sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Teach what? Teach, teach the words. Teach the commands. Teach it. Open this book so that they can see for themselves that this is what God says is pleasing before Him. I had to get alone for, for a couple hours <laughs> and just think of that. Right? It's not an easy thing to do. It, it, it's, it, it's quick. We, we can get pulled away from the simplicity of just teaching this. Okay, we're going to be looking at some scriptures that are, are going to be convicting, challenging, encouraging. But it's teaching this diligently to our children. That is what's going to bring them to that place of, of faith. And, and from there, that's where the title for this message comes from. Faith comes with knowing what is right in God's eyes. Right? That changes there's no more wondering. There's no more searching. There's no more, I'm going to discover this life and, and, and how God's going to bless me. God explains to us, <laughs> explains to us what is pleasing before Him. Spiritual ignorance 
Right? This is from some reflection. Spiritual ignorance, not knowing how the Holy Spirit works in our lives as New Testament believers, not knowing how He speaks through the Word, not knowing how sin works in our Christian walk with Him. Spiritual ignorance, biblical ignorance. Right? Trying to be a Christian with a closed Bible. Spiritual ignorance, biblical ignorance can only lead to one quality of life. And that's doing what is right in your own eyes. When this book is closed, it leads to one quality of life, and that is doing what is right in your own eyes. That goes for God's people in Israel and Judges. That goes for the early church that the Hebrew writer is writing to. That goes for the church today. If we're not teaching diligently, if the children don't see these verses, we'll watch them turn to the world. Right? We'll watch them turn to the things of Leviticus 18. And I'm thinking of the children of Israel stepping into the promised land and what they were seeing, what they were going to be faced with. If they didn't understand what God said was pleasing before Him, they would become like them. Now here's one of those comments that hurt. Spiritual ignorance does not begin with the child. It begins with the absence of a teacher. If they don't have this to, to teach, to teach them, they don't. It's an absence of a teacher, or the absence of a, a godly parent, or a godly grandparent. That's where it gets a little somber. Coming back to the the survey of judges, Chuck Swindle directs our attention for for the book of Judges that the main message of Judges is God will not allow sin to go unpunished. Right? It makes sense. God will not allow sin to go unpunished. This directs our focus to the cross, as it should. Right? We know God is a holy God. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. So we look to the cross. The Old Testament was saved by placing their faith in that God's, or God, faith, placing their faith in God's promise that God would send a Messiah. Right? The Old Testament was saved by placing their faith in God's promise that God would send the perfect redemptive sacrifice. We know that came in Jesus Christ. They believed God and it was accounted to them for righteousness. But, when there was unconfessed sin, when there was unatoned sin, right there with the sacrifices, when there was open sin in their lives, God forsook His people. Right? There was broken fellowship. Again, it's not complicated and we'll look at the verses this morning. For us today as New Testament believers, right? we are saved by placing our faith in the finished work of the cross. Right? We recognize that we're sinners. We're born sinners. We recognize that God sent His only Son to die on the cross, to shed His blood. The cost of sin is blood. Right? Of a perfect sacrifice. Right? And when we look to the cross and we realize that Jesus willingly gave His life, He paid the price for sin, we recognize that we're sinners. And we ask for forgiveness of sin. We place our faith in that Christ died, He was buried, He rose again on the third day, and we turn from that old man. Right? We turn from that sin and we, we step into this new life in Him. We recognize that, that He is the one that paid the price, He's the one that's going to sustain us. We receive that promise eternal life that's how that works but we need to understand that spiritual life spiritual fellowship with christ is offered to us through repentance and obedience right there as we repent and we we obey and we allow him to lead us because we're not perfect right that's why confession is so important but but as we as we repent and and we we, we follow him there we're in fellowship with him but I wrote this down. Don't take fellowship with God for granted. Right? Don't take fellowship with God for granted because sin breaks it. When there's sin present, there is broken fellowship. 1 John chapter 1 tells us of that. Because you are doing what is right in your own eyes. And that's the connection for this morning. Judges chapter 6 we find um, the children of Israel back, back in a place um, which is kind of normal for them. 
And as I stepped into the, the study of Gideon this week, I'll be honest with you, the condition of God's people kept bogging me down. Right? And he asked me the questions, how, how do they keep reaching this place of doing evil in the sight of the Lord? How do they keep reaching this place where God is, is giving them over to the enemy? Giving them over for, for, for chastisement? Giving them over um, to bad things? Right? How do they keep going there? But then I start reflecting on my own tendencies. Right? It wasn't that long that I was doing what was right in my own eyes, and I had strayed. Right? And God was doing that in my own life, and and. and that's part of that being bogged down. The pages were coming out of, out of my own experience of God, God chastising me and, 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 and breaking me and, and turning my heart back to Him. But then you begin thinking about the life of Gideon, and that's where we need to be this morning. God's people were in a dark place, but Gideon was coming from a darker one. Look at verse 13 for me. Actually, we'll, we'll just read. Yeah, look at verse 13 with me. The angel of the Lord in verse 12 appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And verse 13, as Gideon responds, you look at his, his first response to, to the Lord, angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, angel of Jehovah. He says, Oh my Lord. And that casual response, and we'll look at it in a minute, his casual response reflects that he did not know God. He did not know who was standing before him. Gideon's coming from a darker place as we continue down through that verse where he says, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this happened to us? Gideon didn't know about how God's presence works. He didn't have an awareness that God punishes sin. Right? He's asking, why, why is all this happening to us? We come down to the third part of that conversation. Gideon says, And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Gideon didn't understand faith. Didn't understand. He's asking, Prove it. Right? Where are all these miracles? Where, where are they? Show them to me. And we finish, and the only, the only other conclusion that comes from that because he didn't know about God or he didn't know God he didn't know about God's presence and how it worked and because he didn't know how about faith because of these things he felt forsaken he felt abandoned he felt defeated as he as he says to the Lord but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites how many people in our lives feel forsaken feel defeated, feel, feel discouraged because they don't know God. They don't know how sin and God's presence works. They don't, they don't understand how faith isn't a proving. Faith is a, a substance of things hoped for, an evidence of things not seen. And therefore, they're, they're existing or they're living in a state of feeling forsaken, feeling discouraged, feeling abandoned. And, and I've been there. I think, I think many people there um, find themselves there. So let's just chase this down because this does sound familiar. We hear these things a lot today. So Gideon came from a generation. He's coming from a, a dark place that did not know God. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. I asked the question, as any good student would, what, would the, what was the evil? If the children of Israel were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, what is the, the evil that, that Samuel is recording there? Well, let's go back to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. God has already confronted in, in generations before. God has already appeared before the people and confronted three things. Judges chapter 2 says, Then the angel of the Lord, again, we've, we've already worked through that, and that's the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of Jehovah, God's Son. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said that I will never break my covenant with you. This is Christ speaking to Israel. Number one, 
and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. God is confronting the first thing that I found there as the evil. They were making covenants with the land of Canaan, the inhabitants of Canaan. Secondly, you shall tear down their altars. Right? The people weren't removing the false gods. The people were not tearing down the altars that the, the Canaanites were, were worshiping. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So when I began thinking about that evil in the sight. They're making covenants with the, the, the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They're not tearing down the altars. But if we come down to verse 10 of Judges chapter 2, the third thing that stood out to me, again, where it says, and this is a common verse, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, Joshua has passed, right? Joshua's generation has passed. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work that He had done in Israel. And we're back to that teaching. Right? Teaching the words of God diligently. So let's just work through this making a covenant with the inhabitants of, of, of the land. As I asked the question, what were the, the people doing that was evil in the sight of the Lord? God had confronted these things. They were making covenants with the Canaanites. How often do we hear messages or read things about being unequally yoked with unbelievers? Right? The, the children of Israel were deteriorating spiritually at a rapid rate time and time again. This is, this is their history through the book of Judges. Time and time again from stepping away from a faith community. Right? Stepping away from following God's instructions. Stepping away from being around people who loved God and wanted to be pleasing before Him. And they, they mixed themselves into a worldly one. They found themselves relying on a worldly one. New Testament, Paul speaks 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion with darkness? This isn't just for marriage relationships, right? This is, this is our, our conduct. This is who we spend time with. This is what influences us, right? These people were making covenants with the inhabitants of the Canaanites and all the worldliness that was coming in with it. Secondly, they were not tearing down pagan altars. Right? Idolatry was, was not just creeping in because I know how hard it is to, to stay where I need to be in my relationship with God because idols seem to crash in through the door and they take control. Right? These, these folks weren't tearing down pagan altars. Exodus chapter 20, where you find the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God's before me. I wanted to keep going down with that, but again, we've got to stick with the life of Gideon here and what the people were and the state that they were in. You shall have no other gods before me, which is scary when you consider how many idols in our lives pull us from the church. How many idols pull us from Christ how many uh, idols pull us from obedience to the Word when we hear something or hear something taught or hear a, a lesson on the radio and we're like, oh yes, that's amen to that. And yet we find ourselves stepping back into that way of life. How many idols do we have that pull us from the, the commission of Christ? The ministries that we know we're supposed to be involved in. The, the opportunities we know God is sending our way. What is a, a false god? I'm that person that hears that false god and then I can quickly skim over that. False god is someone or something other than God that is highly respected in your life. That's revered. Right? Like something, something that you can't do without. Right? You can't do without that. That is, that is considered a false god. Something or someone that's sacrificed for. Time, money, resources, energy. Something or someone that you rely on to define who you are. Right? Something that you just can't do without, that, that you, you rely on to define who you are. Something that you're dependent on to deliver you from problems. 
Something that you're dependent on to deliver you from problems. And, and if you ever want a, a chat about that, you come talk to me. I know that road very, very well. Our own comfort, our own pleasures, our own hobbies, our own families creep in, our own money, time, careers, sports, entertainments, all do a good job at taking place in our lives when it comes taking first place in our lives, when it comes to our spiritual relationship with God. And we're wondering why there's a darkness over Christianity today. right? And, and I don't want to make this morbid, but it's a serious topic because when we do what is right in our own eyes, we're not pleasing. And we find ourselves in the place where, where Gideon's people were. And then verse 10, we looked at that. They were not teaching their children who God is. They were not teaching His commands. The words of God were obviously discarded. Profound statement. God's people need God's words to stay God's people. Right? God's, God's people need God's words to stay God's people. When we think of those three things, and we come back to Judges chapter 6, and it may seem like we're jumping around, and that's kind of how my week's been, but we come back to Judges chapter 6, and we begin in verse 11. We see Christ introducing Himself. We see Christ declaring Himself, the Lord Jehovah is with you, you mighty man of valor. We see Christ <clears throat> revealing Himself and Gideon really has no idea who's talking to him. Gideon has no idea. He's clueless as to how to respond. Verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Um, Time-wise, age, well, I'm not sure how old Gideon was. I picture him around 20, um, putting in a good day's work. We know that he, he judged for 40 years. It, 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 picture him around 20, this, this young man. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord was with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Quick trip back to uh, a tool as we're reading our Bibles. Right? Whenever we read capitals, it's the translators trying to, to not trying, translators are giving us direction as to position, as to who is speaking. Right? So as we read Angel of the Lord, Angel in your Bibles is capitalized. Right? It's given us a position that, that's pointing us to Christ. Lord capitalized is pointing to Jehovah. Right? So as we read Angel of the Lord, this is what explains to us, the translators have explained to us that this is the pre incarnate Christ. This is Christ revealing, revealing Himself, a Christophany, before He came as a babe. Okay? So this is, this is Christ, this is the Son of God, this is the eternal, eternal Word. When we, we continue down, the, the Lord, when, when, Jesus, when Christ says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, Lord is capitalized. Right? And this speaks to being Jehovah. This speaks to Him as self-existent as eternal, as, as the all-powerful God. As you come down in those verses, it's important for us to understand one more time here that... <clears throat> where did I find that? Whenever you see in the Word, and it's further down in the text, but whatever, it's verse 15, when he says, Oh my Lord, it speaks to... It's just a capital L, lowercase. It's speaking to Elohim. And this is the most common common name for God in the Bible. Most of the time it speaks to Elohim. It speaks to Him being infinite. Him being all-powerful. Him showing by His works that He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. He is, he is the Supreme Judge of the world. So when we come to verse 12 and Christ says to Him, the Lord Jehovah, 
um, all-powerful, um, supreme. When he says, the Lord Jehovah is with you, how does Gideon respond in verse 13? Pay attention to the, to the Lord. He says, oh my Lord. It's a casual response, almost as if he's speaking to a, another man. Right? I almost put in there, I was expecting maybe some younger guys, almost like dude or hey bud. Right? It's a casual response. Oh, bud, you know, like you don't know what you're talking about here. Oh, oh, my Lord, right? If if the Lord was with us, or is if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Gideon's response is casual. It's casual, reflecting a, a casual approach to God. He had just said, "The Lord is with you." A casual response reflecting a casual approach to God, which is what happens when you do not know God. Right? There's a casual approach. For today's picture, I pictured this young man with his, hand, his hands in his pockets, a list of a hundred things to do other than go to church. Right? This young man knows about God, but he doesn't know God. Gideon came from a generation that did not know God. God. Gideon came from a generation that did not understand how God's presence works. Gideon was an Abizarite. If, if you were to study through and, and you look at who his father it is, descendant of Manasseh, which is one of the, the sons of Joseph, there was Ephraim and Manasseh. Gideon grew up in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. If you turn with me to Judges 6, verse 25 gives us a good insight as to Gideon's upbringing, where it says, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Whenever you pause in that wooden image, it's pointing towards the, the asterisk, Worship of the god Ashtoreth. And that points us back to Leviticus chapter 18. We remember reading that from last week. Um, the, the, the sins and the incest and the sexual immorality and, and all the things that went with that. This is the home that Gideon grew up in. This is the home that Gideon grew up in. This is the idolatry that he was exposed to. And let's remember this morning that an idol is anything that comes before God an idol is anything that comes before Christ, anything that comes before the church, anything that comes before the commission. And from there, let's remember that idolatry is contagious. Right? Idolatry is contagious and will be passed on to the next generation. Little monkey see, monkey do. Right? It's contagious. It will be passed on to the next generation. Which is why churches are empty today. I put in bold here, worshiping God, placing God first is heard as an option today, not as a command. Right, not as a command. Verse 13, as we, we continue to work through, work down through, and then this is going really, really well, um, where he says he's already had a casual response to God who's declared himself, the Lord Jehovah is with you. His response Bud, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? I ask myself the question, who can make a statement to God's face? If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? Who can make that statement completely clueless as to why him and his nation is in that state that they're in? Someone that's not listening to the words of God. Right? Someone who, who is deaf and is hard in their hearts to the words of God. It's not a secret that God's... What, pardon me. It's not a secret that when God's people sinned, God judged them. Right? You flip through there even just the early pages of Judges. It's not a secret that when God's people sinned, God judged them. It's not a secret that, that God allowed, and this is how we see it, God allows bad things. Again, that's how we perceive it. God allows bad things to happen when there's sin. But those bad things, and what we consider bad things, are intended to turn our hearts back to God. Right? Those negative things are, are to turn our hearts back 
to God. Bring our hearts back. God had told them many times, many different ways. We today in New Testament call it chastening. Right? Hebrews 12. Read it. It's, it's chastening. It's things that God, because He loves us, is bringing our hearts back to Himself. No one reads that part of the Bible, do they? <laughs> no, one, no one likes likes those truths. No one likes understanding that part of it. Have you ever been in a circumstance when someone who says that they know the Lord is, is dwelling on the words, why is this happening to me? Rather than the Lord is with you. Right? Because we know that he, he, he is with us when we place that, that, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and He comes in, the Holy Spirit seals us and indwells us. And yet, when we go through these things, we get stuck on that, why is this happening to me? Rather than the Lord Jehovah, Holy Spirit is with you. I know I have. I've heard those words a lot. Coming from my own mouth. Coming from my own lips. Why is this happening to me? And believe me, I'll be honest, I was angry. <laughs> right? Angry. Angry at what I was going through. Angry at what I was, I was having to, to walk through. But that anger reflected what was in my heart. Right? Reflected why I'm, I'm missing why I'm missing the Lord being with me. And that, 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 that stuff in my heart is sin. Right? That, that's what's making me miss that. Gideon, like many people, many of our loved ones today, was missing why this is happening in his life. Why has this all happened to us? It's happening because of sin. God is holy. Right? God is pure. God is just. We, we know this. God cannot be in the presence of sin. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And Gideon didn't understand how a presence of God works. Joash, his father, and this is where it takes another somber tone, Joash, his father, had not taken him, and I invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You can see where, where my studies have been going on them. Them entering the promised land, the life of Joshua, and then how quickly the children of Israel forget all that God had done, forget the teaching that, that Moses had done and passed on to Joshua. And Joshua passed on the people. How quickly the people had forgotten. And here Gideon is. He didn't know how the presence of God worked because Joash's father had never taken him to Deuteronomy 30. And if Joash was in a place of, uh, of not holding God's Word up on its standard, well, it falls on his grandfather. right? And, and then we go down the line. His, his generations before him had not taken him to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Read with me in verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it afar off. Now, this isn't for the, the, the doctorates and the scholars and the people there that, 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 that are up there in their understanding. It's not too mysterious. You can understand this. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? We're so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ did and He came down and taught us as the Word. But here God is saying, it is not beyond you. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? I put it in a bracket here. Don't make excuses. But the Word, verse 14, if you highlight your Bible, but the Word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may do it. What's the Word? What is the Word? It's the Word of God. It's the commands. It's God displaying Himself. It's Him showing what is pleasing before Him. The Word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See that I have set before you today the choices laid out here, life and good or death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But then you have verse 17. The choice. Life and good, death and evil. 
But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death or blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Choose life. Choose obedience. Choose, choose Christ. Joash's generations whether it's his father or grandfather carried down the line, never explained to him that Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, read here with me, and the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. They never explained to him that that was for the obedient, confessed, repentant, those that are walking with Him. They didn't explain that if you made that choice of sin, choice of, of death, verse 8, 17 and 18 follows. Deuteronomy 31. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. And I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? It's supposed to wake them up when these, these, these evil things are taking place. But verse 18, And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. It explains a lot, doesn't it? Chastisement, discipline when there's sin. Bad things happening, turning. It's meant to turn the people. But Joash, pardon me, Gideon never had this explained to him. And that's why he's asking the question, why are these things happening to us? Think New Testament. New Testament church clings to Hebrews 13.5, that last part. I will never leave you nor forsake you, forgetting that that is spoken to those in fellowship with Christ. Repentant. right? Confessed sin. Lord being master of their lives. They're in fellowship with Christ. We have people in our lives. Now turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I wouldn't, wouldn't be a good teacher if I didn't have us look at this ourselves. 1 chapter 1. Not saying that I'm a good teacher. I want us to see it from here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We have people in our lives that can quote quote 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I am so thankful for that verse I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ that paid the price for sin I'm so thankful that I can, I can come to him and, and confess and be cleansed on a, on a, a numerous numerous countless basis. But we have people that can quote this verse while living in open sin. We have people that can quote this verse while, while living in open sin, which is a lie. How do I know that this is a lie? Come back up to verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. God is light. God is holiness. God is purity. God is justice. And in him, him, there's no darkness. There's no sin. There's no taint. There's no, no blemish at all. And if we say, verse 6, if we say, or those are people that are professing, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, Right? If we say that we are walking and spiritually okay with God, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Lying sounds a lot like doing what is right in your own eyes, does it not? And we can see how this is connecting for us today. We know it doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. Confessing 
being right. The word of God for Gideon needed to be opened for Israel. They needed to go back to what they had been taught before they entered the land. They needed to come back to, to, to what it was that God said is pleasing before Him. The Word of God needed to be opened for Israel. needed to be opened for Joash. His son Gideon needed to read the whole counsel of God to explain why this is taking place in his life. Why is this happening to us? He needed to understand how God's presence works. Lastly, Gideon came from a generation that didn't know about faith. Judges chapter 6. He came from a generation that did not understand about, about faith. And, and, and believe me, this, this, this last part hits home where he asks the question, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Right? This man wanted proof. He wanted evidence. He, he wanted to, to show me. Right? And, and when God's Word is not taught, right? when this, this book is not, not opened, when the Bible schools are, are closing, right? when this Word is not taught, the Word of God is questioned. Does that make sense? If the Word of God is not taught on the authority, then it's going to be questioned. And that's where many of our, our young people are today. That's where many of our young families, our, our, our mid, mid-lifers, our, 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 I'm gonna say our seniors, I think, are still doing not too bad in accepting the Word of God as a final authority. But when the Word of God is not taught, it's questioned. And here is where Gideon is. He's going, where, where are all these miracles? Where, where is all this that everybody has been talking about? And this is where Gideon is coming from. And I don't really blame him if he wasn't taught. He's asking for for proof. And there's a lot of turmoil that takes place in this season, right? When When you're untaught, you haven't accepted this as authority. There is a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of, of what maybe we'd call soul searching, right? Trying to, trying to discover what's true and what's not. This is true. And that turmoil, and I can speak to that as well, until I in my life accepted this as the final authority, the Word of God in which I need to live my life by, all of it, there's a great distress. Again, I'd love to have coffee with you sometime and, and, and walk you through what it took for me to place my faith in God and, and, and His Word being final authority. But Gideon wasn't taught. Gideon wasn't shown. So what do you expect when, you, when you're looking for a response from him? And where are all his miracles? Think to our own up-and-coming generations or the ones that have grown up and passed that aren't doing well spiritually. There's broken fellowship. You see it. Families and messes and absences and the list goes on and on. In many places, Christian faith is failing. In many places, people are doing what is right in their own eyes because there is a generation of Christians being raised with closed Bibles. There's no other way to explain it. You can't, the, the children can't read this and go, oh yeah, I, um, yeah but, but, but this is what I'm going to do. They, 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 there's a generation that's doing what is right in their own eyes because there are closed Bibles. There's a generation that's ignorant to Christ there's a generation that's ignorant to the doctrines of the Word of God that, that explains and lead us in, in what the, the church is, the body of Christ is. They're ignorant to it, just like Gideon. So it's no wonder as we finish verse 13, it's no wonder that we find Gideon in this place. But now the Lord has forsaken us. This place of discouragement this place of, of, of abandonment, this place of despair. He didn't know God. He didn't know about how God's presence works with fellowship and, and, and Him not being able to be in the presence of sin. He didn't know about faith. But as we, we, we step into verse 14, there's a conversation that's had. In between there. It's the only thing that can explain there if you look at that verse with me. There's, there's something said. Christ says something in here that, that is followed with a command. 
Gideon explains that he does not know these things. And then verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Something was said in here. and I'm not, I, I don't know what it is, but it's followed with the command, Go. The Word of God is for our faith. Right? And I can only imagine as I sat in the quietness, as I sat in the quietness, with faith coming, with knowing what is right in God's eyes, I can only imagine what it was that was said here, followed by the command, with go. But it was the Word of God that brought faith to this young man, and we see what God does with Gideon, right? Something that God had, had said to him. Faith is knowing what is right in God's eyes. Please this morning hear what God has been saying two generations, four generations. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can sit underneath its teaching. We thank You for the Holy Spirit explaining it to us, but Lord, it's not supposed to stop there. I pray that You would give us opportunities to teach and continue to teach children as they come in through these doors. Lord, we're thankful for our ministries. Lord, I pray for opportunities to teach our own generations, our own children, Lord, no matter how old they are. I pray that the Bible is open, that the Word of God is, is explained. Lord, I pray that when we come across a conviction that's being challenged, I pray that You would give us the verses where we can show them why we believe what we believe. So they understand that we're not doing what is right in our own eyes. We're seeking to live by what is right in yours. Help us to be in fellowship with you. Help us to remember what is needed. Keep us coming back to the cross. And I just pray these things in your precious name.